Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Well, through this episode, if you will, they still found that um, arriving at common ground could still be a challenge, you know, and quite literally common ground in this case, because we're talking about citing the Capitol. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Derek Lapp discussing the different candidates for America's capital city. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Derek Lapp. And he'll be discussing some of the other cities besides Washington, D.C. that were discussed as our nation's capital. The decision to build at Washington, D.C., uh, a nasty, mosquito-ridden swamp uh, in the 18th century, of course, uh, was really one of compromise. It was one of long debate, and it was one that really kind of encompassed the the, the philosophical differences uh, of the direction of the country. The fact that it was in Virginia uh, had a lot to do with uh, who was really... I guess winning the debate over the over the direction of the nation, of course, being the Southerners. Derek Lapp talks about Williamsport today, uh, a different potential city, and one that was attractive and certainly would have changed things for us had they chose it. Of course, you know, spoilers, they didn't. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Derek Lapp. Derek Lapp, thank you for joining us. Hi, Brady. How you doing? Tell us about your background. Well, um, I'm a logistician by, by trade. In about 30 years, I've been in the logistics field, um, both in, uh, in the private sector. I work for a company that, does, uh, that supplies wooden pallets and, and containers for the supply chain. Um, I was in the Army for about seven years prior to that, and I was an Army logistician as well. But um, I Majored in history um, as an undergrad and as a graduate, and, and, and both undergrad and graduate degrees, concentrated on the American Revolution. And, and so, even though I, I, I consider myself a rank amateur, uh, you know, my love of the revolution really compels me to to write an article now and then, which organizations like the Journal of the American Revolution are are uh, kind enough to publish. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, my graduate thesis, Brady, um, was focused on the officer core of the Continental Line, specifically the Maryland Line. And, um, you know, over the course of researching the Maryland officers, this one fellow in particular, a guy by the name of Ulfo Holland Williams, figured pretty prominently. Um, and his papers are, are held in the Maryland Historical Society, and they're, you know, it's a, a real treasure of information you know, if you're looking for anything in the revolutionary period, whether it's 
specific some specific battles or just attitudes of young officers or medicine marriage you know slavery land ownership commerce during the war and also politics um one particular section of of Williams's papers are are the series that that uh, are sent to him by his father-in-law uh, a guy by the name of um, William Smith and Smith was a uh, representative from Maryland in the, the, the um, House of Representatives in the first Congress, and he's given these updates to to Otho Williams about the goings on. Hey, here's what we're talking about, and a lot of it, you know, talks about the sighting of the Capitol, which Williams has a, a vested interest in because he's just founded a town um, a few years prior on the Potomac River. So that's it just seems fascinating to me that they're talking about the inside baseball, you know, uh, Smith's letters are, it's pretty funny when you read them because it's, it's, it's almost like a play by play of, oh, 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 it's going to be on the Susquehanna or no, it's going to be the Potomac. Oh no, it's the Delaware river. And then you see this, this evolution, um, almost schizophrenic kind of, uh, uh development of where they finally settle on, on, on the, uh, the capital. So it just seemed like a really interesting, uh, story to me. Who was Otho Holland? Well, Otho, he's got like one of the best names for me in the in the Revolutionary period. He's one of those three named people, you know, like James Earl Jones or something, right? Um, he's one of three Marylanders to reach the rank of uh, general officer um, in the Continental Army. Um, he rises through the ranks. He starts early in the war. He, he signs up. Um, as, as well, he's selected as um, the senior lieutenant in one of the um, the first rifle companies. You know, one of two that Maryland sends off to Boston early in, in the summer of 1775. So he starts early in the war, and he works his way up from lieutenant to captain to a major. Finally, get, gets his colonelcy and, and a regiment. Um, and and his, his his service takes him from as far north as Boston. He, he fights uh, at the Battle of uh, Fort Washington, is injured and captured and uh, eventually exchanged and then goes on to, to service down in the, um, in the Southern Campaign, down in the Carolinas. And uh, after a you know, hard campaign down there with both um, Horatio Gates and, and, and Nathaniel Green, um, he's... Um, sort of rewarded in 1782 um, with the achievement of, of Brigadier General. So it's, he, he goes the length, you know, uh, almost the entire length of the war, rises to the ranks. Really interesting guy, really interesting story. Um, shadows a little bit uh, of um, uh, Daniel Morgan's story, right? And um, uh, on top of the story being interesting, as I said, the, just the fact that his, his papers really represent this great treasure trove um, that I, uh, I really am enjoying mining, <laughs> if you will. Talk about the founding of Williamsport. So yeah, well, in, in rising through the through the ranks and, and, and becoming sort of a, a man of prominence in the state of Maryland as a result of of his wartime service, um, Williams founds a, a town and you know Williamsport uh, which they named it after him um, 
sits, you know, at this site where this uh, creek by going by a really interesting name of Kanokachig meets the Potomac River. And the original settlement was called Kanokachig. And Otho's father, when uh, he was about one year old, moved the family from eastern Maryland out to Kanokachig. And um, over the years, Otho would accumulate land in the area, first from his father, um, as well as his oldest sister's first husband, a guy named George Ross. Um, and then eventually he purchases some on his own. And again, as he's risen through the ranks and becomes you know, a, a person of, of stature in this state, uh, around 1785, some of his friends and acquaintances who also own property out in the area uh, convinced Otho to petition the state legislature to uh, incorporate the town. And, you know, the town he names for his family, they call it Williams's Port, which you know, will get shortened to Williamsport, obviously. What was the attraction to Williamsport for new settlers? Well, the Potomac, so Brady, the Potomac River has you know, long been a, you know, an interest for land speculators, both in Maryland and Virginia. Um, all through the colonial period, it's sort of this corridor toward the interior of the continent. You know, um, we've got the Potomac Company trying to develop the river for transportation um, in, the, in, in the post-Revolutionary War years. And, you know, you have its predecessor before the French and Indian War, the Ohio Company, trying to do the same thing, really utilizing this, this river valley to, to get into you know, trans- Appalachian part of the country. Kanakachig, um, later Williamsport, kind of has this advantage of being a crossroads of sorts. You know, the the great wagon road, which um, you know funneled settlers from Philadelphia out through Harrisburg and down um, through Maryland into the Valley of Virginia, you know, the Shenandoah Valley area, if you will. Um, all the way into the North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, backcountry. So this this um, core, uh, excuse me, this uh, wagon road crosses the Potomac at Conococheek. So you've got this crossroads where it just naturally becomes a, 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 a terminus for both transportation and, 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 um, and commerce, if you will. So, um, you know, today... The modern routes of, of US 11 and I 81 actually you know, cross the Potomac, uh, pretty much the same place where the Great Wagon Road crossed the Potomac. And you now, even today, 20 million vehicles, according to Maryland Department of Transportation, cross the, the bridge annually. And they probably don't, most folks probably don't realize how, how close um, the, the area might have come to, to being the capital. and how much worse the traffic might have been had that had it occurred, you know. Why was Williamsport a viable option for the nation's capital? Well, I don't, and I mentioned in the article, I don't, I, it probably, Williamsport probably didn't have a, a, a real chance, Brady, because, um, you know, we, we all know where the, the capital ended up being right there, um, you know, Alexandria and Georgetown, Maryland, um, which is, you know, a couple miles around the corner from, you know, where George Washington lived, you know, he didn't fight it very far from, from, from home. Um, and, and 
less cynically, it's also there was a point at the time where um, the, the furthest deep water anchorage could have been. Now, the Potomac Company was trying to create um, um, skirting canals you know, to go around the, the, the various falls. There's about five cataracts or falls that, that occur between where Williamsport is and in, in, in George, um, Georgetown, Maryland. Um, so they're developing it, but you know, all the signs led to, to the current site being selected. But, you know, Williams points out, and it's a valid point, he says, uh, talking to a friend, sending a letter to a friend, he says, you know, you know, Congress has fixated on having a seaport town. You know, you're going to be exposed to any kind of danger in the future. And, you know, he proved a little prescient there because, you know, we know that, um, you know, in the War of 1812, the capital is attacked by by the British, um, and, and, and you know the town is burnt. And, and and you know, I really do think, had the lines of communication been stretched further, I don't think the British could have pulled it off had the capital been up in Williamsport. But uh, there was a lot of pushback even within Congress um, about going up there, but. I had a fighting chance, and, and, and Washington did actually go there and and, and, and check it out, and, and sort of gave a favorable impression to the to the folks that gave him a tour. What other cities were its competition? Well, Brady, I mean, there's the, the incumbents, right? Yeah, they were in New York, so New York is is, is vying for it. And Philadelphia was the the original uh, site where the Congress first convened famously right and um some of the other contenders uh, trent new jersey annapolis both of them ended up you know at, at certain points served as the capital as, as congress moved around um towards the end of the war uh germantown carlisle pennsylvania lancaster york pa several of these towns actually were petitioning Congress saying, Hey, here's, here's the benefits and, 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 and laying out, um, their case for, for begin, becoming the, the capital. Um, the, it's interesting. A lot of the, the discussions in, in the, the Congress, it, it, it seems to focus on the rivers themselves, less than the town. So they might say, okay, we're going to figure a site on the Susquehanna or, We'll figure a site on the Delaware or the Potomac, and and then I guess presumably after the river was picked, then site it, whether it's an existing town or or you know uh, develop a town afterwards. But you know a lot of a lot of places were were raising their hand, Brady, and, and probably for the same reason that lobbyists exist now. Now everyone figured there, there'd be an economic boom by having the capital in there in in their backyard. How did Congress ultimately decide on a location for the Capitol? So, kind of the, the same way it, as you alluded to, it, it continues to. There's a lot of horse trading and deal making. Um, so the issue of the, the citing the, the Capitol became linked with Alexander Hamilton's financial plans for the for the, the, the new nation. So. Um, the idea of the federal government assuming the debts of the uh, 
you know, that states incurred during the Revolutionary War. So the, the, the two the two topics became intertwined. Um, Williams actually has a great, you know, I like how he um, uh, sums it up to a friend of his. He says, look, if Hamilton's scheme of adopting the state debts is found to be um, eligible, quote unquote, Congress may adopt it. And he says, you know, what this will mean is you know, public paper will be one denomination, you know, one value. And that was, that was really Hamilton's vision. Well, the states that paid off their debts weren't, weren't too keen on this idea because they figured, why, why should we end up having to, you know, cover the expenses of states that weren't as, as responsible as we were? Um, and Virginia was, was leading that, that resistance. So you've got Hamilton um, and his allies trying to, trying to, to push his, his financial plan and, and, uh, and James Madison saying, you know, resisting it because of, uh, you know, leading the Virginia charge against it. And, you know, famously, you know, especially if anyone who's a Hamilton fan knows that Jefferson had a dinner with the, with the two gentlemen, they, they sat down and they came up with a compromise, which is sometimes a, a word you don't hear a lot uh, thrown around in Congress, especially uh, lately, but um, that's what ended up happening, uh, a trade. So um, Madison agreed to support Hamilton's plan and Hamilton uh, got his allies in Congress to, to agree to situating the, uh, the nation's capital on the Potomac river. And um, really after they, after Congress settled on the Potomac, they went ahead and, and, and gave uh, the president latitude to pick the spot, basically between um, what's what's now today called the Anacostia River, which at the time they called the east eastern branch of the Potomac, all the way up to um, the mouth of the Conococheague Creek, which conveniently was was where Williams had situated his town, um, and and so. Congress did come to the, the compromise. They let Washington uh, decide where he wanted to sit, situate it, and, and the president set out on a uh, sort of a fact-finding uh, uh, mission in, in, in October of 1790 to to check out the area. I mean, he already knew it very well. You know, it's, it's his backyard, but um, he used it as a, uh, as a chance to, to, to tour the, the Potomac Valley and, and Stop at a few sites. Um, the, the, anyone in, familiar with the area knows the Mon- Monocacy River also is kind of halfway between Williamsport and, and Georgetown. He stopped there too, so that presumably that was in the in the running as well. How did Williamsport change over the next several decades, even though it wasn't chosen? Yeah, so you know they didn't get the they didn't get the nod, but um, the. the the um, improvements do occur on the uh, on the Potomac, um, and, and so it's, there, it's, it becomes you know, navigable enough for, for um, products to, to make it from the, the hinterland, um, utilizing the, the river and, and coming down from Williamsport to the market. So it becomes a, a market town, um, and then uh, you get a little bit of a boom as well when the CNO Canal is is finally uh, completed, but uh, Williamsport's fate is sort of tied to the canal as well. Uh, the canal, unfortunately for for the the folks investing in it, um, comes just just 
uh, a few years before the the the, in the advent of, of rail and uh, you know, the B and O uh, sort of eclipses the the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal, and um, so Williamsport remains a market town, but it it, it, it doesn't become a, a huge metropolis. Um, it, uh, it it'll be scarred by the the Civil War as well, and um, really just sort of remains a small town that you that you can find now. Um, pass up and down I-81. Um, the small town that, that has a few signs around pointing out the fact that it was in consideration for being the capital and um, that their, their famous son, Otho Holland Williams, happens to be buried there. Sort of their claim to fame. How does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, Brady, I'm, you know, I'd like to think that it provides a little insight maybe into how the workings of the first Congress and, and, and at the process of, of building the new nation, um, you know, the, the United States, after, after finding the Articles of Confederation weren't as sufficient for the country's needs, they you know thought and they opted for the do-over, you know, and 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 developed the Constitution. Well, through this. Um, uh, episode, if you will, they still found that um, arriving at common ground could still be a challenge, you know, and quite literally common ground in this case, because we're talking about citing the capital. But in, in addition to that, I'd, I'd like to think it is, that it illuminates, um, you know, how the wartime service helped transform this would would have otherwise been a midland clerk, aspiring merchant in in Otho Williams, and how his service kind of turned him into a, a mover and shaker in sorts on a on a national level level to the to the point where he could, you know, had had some influence and almost was able to to secure the the capital in his in his own the town of his his uh, uh, creation. So. It's an interesting episode in, in, in the development of the, the nation. Derek Lab, thanks again. Thank you, Brady. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.